Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 5, issue 221. Play along with Kane and Rince, Volume 5. Our next five issues of the show include The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask. Following that, it's Titanfall. Next up, we have Jamestown, Legend of the Lost Colony. After that, it's another old Sega game from the 16-bit era. It's Golden Axe. And following that, it's Level 5, Studio Ghibli's JRPG, Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch. Head to KaneandRince.com. For the full schedule, as well as articles, features, and reviews, and links to our friendly, busy forum, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel. And if you enjoy what we do, there are a number of ways in that in which you can support us these days. We have a Patreon now. Uh, it's like an online virtual tips jar or a donation pot. Uh, there's no content that's just for Patreon subscribers or anything like that, but if you wish to and are able to donate a dollar a month or whatever you can afford, uh, it's incredibly gratefully received and helps us to pay for admin fees and uh, site support, all that sort of stuff, and just generally keep us going. So uh, we're incredibly grateful to all of you who already contribute. Everything we produce will still be free and available to all, regardless of any donations. If you prefer to get something tangible in return for your hard-earned, check out our shop. You can support us by purchasing Cane and Rinse t-shirts and bags. Each purchase nets us a couple of quid. And that's at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash cane and rinse. We also have a video games music podcast. We're now up to over 40 of those. And we've just announced that that show is going weekly. From this week, there will be a new sound of play every Wednesday. Please review, rate and subscribe both of these podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue... It's returning guest Dan Clark. Good to join you again. Oh, welcome back. And Thank also you. returning guest Simon Cole. Hi. And recent addition to the greater Cane and Rince arsenal. Is that the right word? I don't know. Anyway, family. It's, it's family. Yes, I use that word and then it sounds a bit cheesy, but I, I like <laughs> to think we're a big, we're a big nerdy family. And this is Mickey O'Croder. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. So yes, I've wheeled out the entire special teams this week. Um, this game needed a certain kind of panellist, and, uh, and you guys tick those boxes. So I've ditched the rest of the crew with their young whippersnapper ideas and their playing of, of niche indie games and big AAA third-person shooters. And here we are, going back to the 16-bit era and the dawn of Treasure, uh, a developer who I'm sure... Uh, we all have our favourite games by. So Treasure were formed um, in 1992, the summer of 1992, from uh, mainly, almost exclusively, I think they started off as a, a under 20 people. They were like uh, 16 or 18 people, and they were nearly all from Konami. 
and they previously worked on games like Bucky O'Hare and The Simpsons at the arcade, as well as things like Super Castlevania 4 and Contra 3, Axelay, some of these amazing um, technical sort of marvels on the 16-bit home consoles. But interestingly, uh, it was like they actually decided that the Mega Drive was the machine that would because of its particular architecture, its 68,000 processor, it would be the right platform for them to exercise their sort of sprite-based skills. Because for all the SNES's uh, wonders, um, if you put too many kind of sprites and things on the screen, people will remember it could suffer quite badly from flicker and, and or slowdown. Whereas, as we'll, we'll see in Gunstar Heroes, um, this was... Uh, something of a, a technical marvel for a for a 16-bit console. We were talking in the uh, in the virtual Skype green room, uh, the malfunctioning green room before the before the podcast started. And uh, Dan mentioned you mentioned Bucky O'Hare. You you've been looking back at it um, with a view to making this podcast. And and uh, and Michiel, you mentioned that you actually play this sometimes on emulation. It's funny how um. This this looks like almost like a prototype of Gunstar Heroes in some ways. Like the enemies, you know, the um sort of floating ball enemies that are, that float on the screen in Gunstar Heroes all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the red they're, they're a staple enemy in Bucky O'Hare, <laughs> uh, right. the game. So, and then the sound, it's just got the very similar um, instruments are used. Right. It really. I, I remember the game from the arcades, but I think the main sprite looked a bit sort of odd. I suppose. Well, Bucky O'Hare looked odd anyway. Well, that's it. But, um, it. I tended yeah. to avoid Bucky O'Hare-related stuff because I thought, could, well, you know, I was over 20 at this point and it looked a bit silly to me. But, um, you know, that said, I played Tiny Toon Adventures very happily. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Bucky yeah, O'Hare was a bit like the, uh, the proto-Star Fox. Okay, like that whole yeah, ca- yeah. cast of, cast of uh, anthropomorphic animal characters sure. in space. And you're saying but, you play this with your kids and it's, um, it's got elements of, what, Double Dragon and, and uh, Aliens? Yeah, mostly like um, uh, Konami's Aliens, the uh, the arcade game where uh, right. it, it's it has sort of a um, double dragon style screen layout with the sort of the, the, the twisted perspective, and you can walk all over the place. But instead of uh, melee attacks, you mainly use guns in the game. Um, and yeah, I'm sure you know we don't want to go too much into the other games that uh, some of these guys made for Konami because you know they would deserve their own Kane and Rince podcast. But I'm sure we've all played Contra Three on the Super Nintendo or mm-hmm. Super Probotector as it was, and other games that these these guys worked on. Um, it's worth saying there was a uh, a Game Gear version which uh, which had a few uh, changes that was by M2, and we'll hear more from them. So Treasure was set up by uh, the president, Masato Megawa, who was also the producer on this game, and the designers are Yoshiyuki Matsumoto and Hideyuki Suganami, uh, wizard programming from Mitsuru Yaida and Hideyuki Suganami. Um, the lead artist and, I think, uh, we'll talk about the visual style later, but I think it's fair to say he has a very distinct style. That's uh, Tetsuhiko Kikuchi, also known as Han. Uh, and I think the name of the hero from Guardian Heroes took his name uh, because of that. But Hiroshi Iuchi also worked on the art. The composer, who I assume was also the composer for that Bucky O'Hare game, based on what you were saying about the uh, audio, that's Norio Hanzawa, also known as Non. And the sound, which was ha- handled separately, the sound effects also... Um, striking in their own right, I would suggest, by Satoshi Murata. So this was released for the Mega Drive and the Genesis in uh, September to October 1993. Uh, there's, a, there's a pre-release ROM 
um, that you can uh, play either via emulation or on the tr uh, PS2 treasure box. Um, and it has a few little differences, and I think it's kind of a shame when you think about some of the uh, elements of uh, interestingly translated English that appear in things like Radiant Silver Gun. It's kind of a shame that although there aren't many localization differences, uh, they, they elected to change things like boss time coming soon and waiting of the danger uh, <laughs> into, into more proper, in inverted common, uh, what common a shame. English. Mm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, boss... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Life of enemy instead of boss energy and breakdown instead of boss defeated. Uh, there yeah. were a few extra little items. Um, there were some. Uh, there were some billboards later in the game that seemed to refer to cigarettes, and in the final version, they were they refer to gum. Um, and there was a cheat included for reviewers, as this this uh, this version was was uh, to be sent out for press, where you could get nine 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 health uh, simply by pausing and pressing X. That was taken out of the final version, um, but it also finished midway through the fifth stage, so you wouldn't get to, get to see the end anyway. That Game Gear version by M2 only came to Japan, I think. Is that right? Um, yeah. And mm -hmm. it's it's a bit different, as you'd expect. It was, uh, you know, scaled down for 8-bit. Seven Force only has five forms, and that fight takes place uh, in, a, in a different sort of arena. The Dice Palace is missing, um, and the, the later shoot-em-up spaceship level is uh, replaced with something involving a bipedal walker. Um, I've never played this version. I never had a Game Gear. Um, anybody ever tried Gunstar Game Gear style? No. A long no, time ago. It's, it's a technical tour de force. But... Really? Okay. Um, and following this, there were rumours, uh, people may or may not know, that the Master System was kind of the number one console in Brazil going well into the, what, late 90s, mm -hmm. maybe even early 2000s? Early 2000s. And yeah, and uh, Tech Toy were the sort of distributor and major force over there for um, Brazilian Master System stuff, and there were there were often rumours of a Master System version um, uh, of of this game existing, um, but uh, the president of Tech Toy was asked directly, and he said Gunstar Heroes was only launched for sixteen bit, but that's not true because there was a Game Gear version. But I think the the Master System version must just must be a myth unless there's a sort of uh, bootleg version somebody's cobbled together out of the Game Gear code or something like that. Yeah, I there is know. the GG2 SMS project where people do try and convert okay. Game Gear games to SMS. Um, what they found, I think, with Gunstar Heroes is that they can get it up to the title screen and then it quits out. Um, this was a few years back, so I don't know if they've improved on that since then. But I remember ROM sites back even in the mid-90s saying that there was a Master System version. So I think it's just a a long-running rumour that's built up over many years with people now trying to sort of make it work. Sure, sure. Uh, the next release, uh, really the second release for uh, Gunstar Heroes was as part of the Gunstar Heroes treasure box, which was part of the Sega Ages series in, uh, in Japan. Uh, this was put together by M2 again, released in February 2006. You can get it. Uh, if you hook up your PS3 to Japan region uh, store, which isn't that much of a pain, it's doable, and you can download it uh, via PSN onto your uh, onto your PS3, or you can import a copy onto your uh, multi-region PS2. Uh, and that that uh, set it doesn't 
it doesn't go for an enormous amount of money, but it features uh, the the original Gunstar Heroes, but also Dynamite Heady and Alien Soldier, but also that Gunstar Heroes prototype, the Game Gear version of Gunstar Heroes, and both the Game Gear and Master System versions of Dynamite Heady. Uh, mm. No McDonald's Treasure Land adventure, presumably because of the license involved. Uh, and that was another another treasure game that I've never played because um, I tended to avoid McDonald's-related products even when they were video games. Especially 60-quid uh, so, Japanese imports. Well, that's it. And, uh, yeah, so Mick and Mac Global Gladiators by Shiny and McDonald's Treasureland Adventure by Treasure, like two of the, two of the most famous coders of 2D games in the 16-bit era, uh, both had to, what well, I feel like, they had to slum it with a, with a tacky clown fronted uh, ronald mcdonald product i would uh, love to play that game though one day yeah sure yeah well we can play it uh illegally and and not give mcdonald's any money i'm sure they don't get any money from it now anyway <laughs> uh, i'd love it if they gave it with happy meals yeah yeah absolutely. mega drive cartridge nowadays it is yeah. the future you could get they could do one of those plug-ins straight into your tv uh yeah. joy, joypad things couldn't they? they they can't cost anything to make these days uh, the Wii Virtual Console version, and again, M2 involved here because the Mega Drive emulation for Virtual Console is coded by M2, and that was released all around the world in December 2006. But uh, knowing how the PAL uh, Virtual Console used to work, the PAL version would have been the PAL version of Gunstar Heroes, so of course it's bordered and slow compared to the NTSC versions. In 2009, in the summer, uh, Backbone Entertainment brought that formerly Digital Eclipse um, brought this to downloadable services on 360 and PS3. Um, the emulation is serviceable without being spectacular. I don't think it quite captures the feel and the sound that the M2 versions do. Would that be fair? Anyone who's played these? Yeah, it's a shame they couldn't get M2 on board for that, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, they've got a history with the game as well. It would be would have been a nice circular thing. Backbone were just the go-to guys for for getting Cheap. stuff. Yeah, getting stuff on, on, on the downloadable services. Of course, they added online co-op, uh, achievements and trophies and leaderboards and a boo graphic smoothing option. Oh, <laughs> if you really want to, if you really want to, like, poop on the work of some brilliant uh, sprite pixel artists, turn that smoothing option on. Uh, but don't do it if you're a gaming connoisseur. Please don't do it. Uh, this version arrived on Steam in January 2011, and of course, as of just the other week, Sega have now allowed um, home coders, homebrew coders, to mod their their uh, their games on Steam as much as they like in in any way they wish. And there's already at least one Gunstar Heroes mod out there, the chill version, I think it's called, which is uh, kind of sort of for me completely rips the heart out of what gunstar heroes is all about but if you if you want if you want a chill a more chilled gunstar heroes experience you can now <laughs> uh, you can now get that on on steam uh, on your pc for probably not well the the mod is free and the game i doubt costs more than two or three pounds uh, the 3DS version, which we'll talk a bit more specifically about later, uh, arrived just August last year, 2015. Of course, uh, with 3D visuals, it was done by M2 again um, and features some new gameplay options and modes as well as mm. some unlockable extras and cheats. It's full screen, full speed. I think it looks absolutely stunning. It's a fantastic version to have in your pocket. It's brilliant. It's got the um, international and Japanese version of Barzan, so you can flip between yes. the two. Yeah, and actually, I think this game, like famously, this game was almost 
ignored by Sega. Uh, it was relatively late in the Mega Drive's life, and it took uh, it took Treasure showing it to a whole bunch of Sega execs before they were interested in taking this weird, uh, funny-looking run and gunner on. But I think almost because it was late in the Mega Drive's life and because they weren't that interested, they didn't spend any effort really localizing it. So it's really just a translation. Mm-hmm. They didn't take they didn't take any of the weirdness out, um, which I think is, you know, to the to the game's benefit. Uh, one sad note to report relating to the uh, to the 3DS version is that um, sadly Akira Saito, who is one of the veterans of the M2 team who had worked on the um the sound emulation for for the Mega Drive games across various releases that they'd done for Gunstar Heroes sadly died in February this year. Um, and I think anyone who like follows emulation closely will uh, agree that M2's attempts at emulating Sega's p- peculiar sound chips were far above and away anybody else's. Yeah, I mean, the work they've done on those um, 3DS 3D versions is astounding. I mean, talking about having the both international and uh, Japanese versions, just, you know, they didn't have to do that. Um, it's that extra bit of love they put into those titles. Um, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love those. I mean, I've, I've probably outrun more than uh, <laughs> any other game on my uh, 3DS. Yeah. Yeah, 3D series comes uh, comes recommended. Yeah. Sorry, Mikhail. Yeah, they're kind of like the uh, curate, curators of, uh, of emulation because you don't, as Backbone has uh, has shown, you don't really have to put in that much effort because who's going to notice, really? Only people like us, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, they, yeah, they really went the extra miles with all their ports, not just Sega games, but um, their yeah. uh, port of Moshima Sama Futari for the Xbox 360 is yes. fantastic as well. But, um, yeah, I digress. Absolutely. And also they uh, they also uh, put together the uh, Rebirth series for Konami on the yeah. uh, on on the Wii uh, with Contra, uh, Gradius, and Castlevania. Um, yeah. And I've recommended those before. Basically, any 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 way I can get uh, get that in to yeah. the one of these podcasts. But there is a relationship here. So very uh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> very enjoyable game, games. All three of those. Yeah, uh, instantly yeah. on those three D versions. Have you, uh, Leon, I know that three D doesn't work for you ah. but have you tried yeah. the two different types of 3d that you can flick between so here's the thing uh last year uh no was it like yes last year when majora's mask came out for 3ds which i'm currently playing for the upcoming podcast and enjoying very much uh i bought a, a majora's mask new nintendo 3ds and the 3d on the n3ds actually i can actually see 3d with it wow, uh, oh, wow. For the first time in my life I can sort of understand what 3D looks like um, wow. in 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 a on a on a 2D screen. Um, that that st- that stability, the extra stability they added to the hardware, makes all the difference. And yeah. in fact, the things that really work for me are, as I know, and I know even people who have enjoyed 3D up to this point have said that 2D stuff looks amazing in 3D. And again, let's praise M2 some more. Yeah. The work they've done on things like Outrun, Galaxy Force, and indeed Gunstar Heroes. Uh, is quite eye-popping. Now, I haven't really done the whole drop-in, pop-out comparison, I must admit. So, have you? Yeah, well, one of them uh, makes me feel like I have some kind of, uh, (laughs) you know, my brain's going to just explode. I think it's the one where, I need to get this right, but the one where it gives you the added depth is fine, which I think is the one that the majority of 3DS games use. But the other one where it pops out is just, my eyes just can't cope with it. Um, okay, 
But yeah, nice to put that in though. But yeah, I tried it this morning on. Uh, so I just mm. had a quick run through, and I was like, this is this isn't going to be a migraine. Intense. Harsh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So the reviews were generally uh, positive, certainly a lot of praise for the technical side of things. Um, I remember, we'll get onto our histories momentarily, but I remember one review in one of the UK magazines was quite middling. And that, although, I, you know, I read, I always read a spread of review, reviews back in the day. I re- read every review pretty much. There was the fact that one of these reviews for Gunstar Heroes was something like a, you know, it was a kind of six out of 10, 66% sort of thing. It kind of stuck with me for a bit. And I think despite the praise the game got in some of the other magazines, um, and I think it's sort of review average is around 87, 88% overall. Um, I was thinking, ah, oh, but you know, it's 40 quid. What if I, I agree with the 66% review score? Mm. Um, so I kind of uh, I avoided it for a while, but nevertheless, uh, EGM awarded it best action game of 1993, and since then, uh, Gunstar Heroes has been listed among the quotes best games of all time by the likes of EGM in 97, 2001, and 2006 by Gamefacts in 04, 05, and 09 by the Guinness uh, World Records, and by IGN in 2003 and 2005, as well as Now Gamer and Retro Gamer. So it's certainly got some uh, critical love. But let's go back to 1993, if appropriate. And uh, Dan, you're a uh, returning Mega Drive super fan. Um, was this an instant buy for you, or did you come buy it later on? Um, it was a pretty early buy. I can't remember quite when, but 93 was a pretty strong year for the Mega Drive. It's like it found its sort of second wind almost. Mm. It was the era where we had um, Flashback build as the CD-ROM game on cartridge, and then uh, Ranger X and Gunstar Heroes were builders. Super FX games without a Super FX right. chip that yeah. were coming out. There was sure. it, um, these were all kind of buzzwords that were being used at the time. And I remember seeing in a magazine uh, it was it was uh, collating Ranger X and Gunstar, Hero- Gunstar Heroes and a couple of other games that were sort of pushing the system to its limits. And um, I wasn't sure which one I was going to get. Pretty much the first one out of the gate, I guess. And then um, yeah, yeah Gunstar, Gunstar came before Christmas, and I picked it up around that sort of time. Um, it knocked my socks off, to be honest. So. Have you just uh, treasured your, pardon the pun, treasured your original cartridge since then, or have you been back to it on any of the other versions? Or I've still got the original cartridge, but um, I have picked it up on Wii Virtual Console, on I think 360, I think on Steam as well, <laughs> just so that I've got it in as many places as possible. Uh, then I've, I always used to have it, um, again, can't really condone this, but um, I always used to have it on my PSP. It was a perfect game for travelling around. With, with that, it's, um, yeah, it's just one of those games I always have with me as uh, kind of one of those palate cleanser kind of games between yeah. other things that you can just sort of jump in for an hour and, mm. and have a great tight gameplay experience. Like a lemon sorbet. Yeah. Yeah. Mikhail, how about you? Um, I was a Nintendo kid growing up. Uh, not, not really the blind type of fanboy, you know. I used to sure. buy all sorts of multi-platform magazines and ogle over the screenshots for games for systems I didn't own. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, when it came to playground discussions, I was all, like, fanboyed up. Uh, but, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> so, I, I played Mega Drive at uh, friends' houses as well as other systems. Um, but when it came to the uh, Wii Virtual Console, uh, when, when the, the Wii was just released, uh, it was probably one of the very first games that I downloaded for it. Mm. Because um, yeah, I've, I've, I have a thing for arcade-style action games, especially the very, the bold, uh, boldly styled and colorful ones. 
and um, Gunstar Heroes' reputation had only grown in uh, in all the time that it uh, that had passed since its original release in 1993. So um, yeah, it's it was one of the first games I downloaded for it, and um, yeah, I, I went I went in. Um, I had a very mixed experience, I must say. I wasn't all uh, enchanted by it. Sure, um, cool. And I'll close this off by saying that, for the record, I do now own a Mega Drive. Ah, nice. <laughs> Good job. Simon, were you there at the time? Yes, I was. I was 14 in 1993. Um, the previous year, Contra 3 had come out um, on the Super yes. Nintendo. I was lucky enough to have a Super Nintendo and a Mega Drive. Yes. Thanks to um, uh, a great aunt that passed away and left me some money. Um, Nice. And uh, I was obsessed with uh, Contra 3, although it was called Super Pro Protector in the UK. Sadly so. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. Um, I was obsessed with it. I I didn't play arcade games when I was growing up. My dad wouldn't let me. He said the oh. basically, yeah, yeah. He basically sort of said they were like uh, one-armed bandits. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember that that, uh, that sort of mindset. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I've attended too much, but... When I was quite a bit younger, I got Lotus of Speed Turbo Challenge for Christmas. Yes. And uh, we sat there playing it. I ran out of petrol in the last lap, uh, <laughs> which prompted my dad to go into this huge sermon about how, you know, how cynical games were, how the cynical <laughs> games were designed. <laughs> wow, he didn't know what was coming, did he? Yeah, but although the, was... the irony is he got me into them because he's, the, he's the guy who bought the uh, Spectrum home in the early 80s. Ah, yeah. too, for you to do your homework on. Yeah. yeah like in Lotus, I, I, I loved that game as well. Um, it was like having outrun in the home almost not quite but almost and uh yeah if you run out of petrol that's strategic mismanagement on oh. your part that's not because it's like nickel and diming <laughs> you for uh for for microtransactions he had no idea what was coming no 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 that's all I can see. <laughs> but yeah i was obsessed with i was obsessed with super pro protector purely because i didn't i wasn't allowed to go into the arcade so anything yeah. that would give me that kind of yeah. arcade experience in the home i was obsessed with arcade conversions you know i obsessed mm. over street fighter 2 when that came out yeah but anyway i was obsessed with uh, super Pro protector for basically that whole year um i loved it you know the mode 7 graphic looked amazing mm. um the tone was really gritty um but anyway i don't know how i got wind of the fact that there was a link between this game that's coming out on the mega drive uh, how this new developer was you know had this link to contra 3 and I, I got quite excited it was about the sort of time as well where i was starting to pay attention to who was actually making the games and you know getting yeah. into developers other than the you know the, the big ones at the time which were capcom and konami to name but two um and yeah i remember like my birthday was in november uh, is in november so uh this came out in the autumn of 93 and i had to have it and um yeah, it, it, I wouldn't say that I was blown away straight away. It took a while to mm. grow on me, but I think the it's it's the it's, it basically is a testament to the quality of design that it won me over eventually. I think uh, I, I was quite enamoured with the sort of the gritty tone of Contra and the eye popping graphics. Uh, and although this is eye popping in a different way, it didn't quite get me in the same way. But it's only as I kind of I guess as I matured in I appreciate games, I really appreciated its qualities. And a bit like Dan, I've gone on to own it on pretty much every every platform um although strangely enough i don't really touch it on steam or on the um you know console on the tv i i think it's a great fit for a handheld console these days mm. yeah so as i say i although i used to buy 
pretty much everything I wanted back at this point. I was in my early 20s and I had, you know, an Amiga and both the 16-bit consoles and I was hoovering up, lapping up both arcade and home arcade experiences. There was something about Gunstar Heroes that, although I always liked the look of it, I don't know if it was that that middling review or maybe it had a couple of middling reviews. Maybe it was the Western box art, which uh, is just not something that I think reflects the game very well at all. The Japanese box art is wicked. Uh, We have Simon here who co-runs the uh, excellent cool box art twitter feed and um i'm i don't know if you featured the western version but i can imagine you featuring the japanese version <laughs> uh i don't think i have actually i'm not actually a big fan <laughs> oh, okay yeah sorry well, um i say it's cool yeah yeah <laughs> i'd put it forward um sure but anyway the the western version is very much as these things often would be i mean it's not completely unrepresentative of the game in the sense that it does actually feature some like some recognizable characters and action moments from gunstar heroes but the styling is is a bit odd uh, for my tastes um it looks like uh, a sort of yeah like a western eye view of a of a Japanese game. Um, so maybe it was a combination of factors that meant that I didn't get around to buying this on PAL Mega Drive until I think it was actually 1997. Um, oh. And that was that was the first time I played through it. I got it home, finally bought it. I think, you know, I probably picked up for like, you know, 10, 12, 15 pounds secondhand. Got it home, fired it up and played it all that evening, completed it at least once. I think maybe once on easy and once on normal. Um, thought it was absolutely superb. My Mega Drive uh, got sold not so long after that but of course um yeah many times this has come out since then i bought it on 360 and uh got all the achievements and recently bought it again day one purchase as soon as the 3d version came out on 3ds and that's the version i've been back to and completed all over again this last week as well as mucking around with some of the the new modes and so on and so forth um so there is a plot uh, but I don't think it's something we need to delve too deeply into unless uh, any of you is motivated to. I didn't even really uh, follow follow the plot until I knew that the uh, podcast was coming up. I was like, I know there's a load of stuff happening in the background, but I, honestly, over it's been, it's been 20 years, I thought I paid a blind bit of attention to it. But I'm in exactly the same boat as you. Yeah, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's like a lot of these games. It's like, you know, you get it with shmups as well. It's like, it's just there to link between the link to you know two chapters together or two stages together it's kind of fairly uh you know redundant really yeah i think the the thing about treasure games is also that they have really convoluted plots running in the background that you hardly get a fraction of when you're actually playing the game yeah yeah usually have like overly complicated plots with backstabbings and betrayals and a lot of stuff (laughs) that just is not reflected in the game at all if you read read very much like that yeah, or Alien Soldier. You just have to read the intertext or the manual to, to get any of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the fan fiction. But yeah. what I will say is you've got these uh, characters. I mean, this is, you know, this is a 1993 16-bit run-and-gun game. Um, and so by those standards, the fact that you've got sort of eight named characters or more and um, and they, they're all uh, colour-themed, so the heroes are Gunstar Red and, and Gunstar Blue. Um, there's not much difference in the way they're portrayed personality-wise. It's not even like they've got a different stance or anything like that, I don't think, compared to, say, I'm thinking about some of the other games of the time that did similar things like Zybots and Operation Thunderbolt is basically a way of having 
two-player co-op. Then, but yes, then there is stuff like Guns, formerly Gunstar Green, now just known as Green. Uh, he's actually the brother of uh, Red and Blue. Um, and there's uh, also Gunstar Yellow and Dr. Brown and Colonel Red. Uh, Smash Daisku, who is the guy who everyone used to refer to as uh, the he's the one he's the one who looks like uh, Bison or Vega, isn't he? Basically, he's yeah. the um, he, he's wearing the sort of dict- dictator's uh, hat and he's in a sort of red reddish themed uh, coat. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I assume it was deliberate on the part of Treasure to uh, to you know because Street Fighter was absolutely massive at this point. Um, and then you know the uh, beyond the um, Empire commanders, uh, pink, orange, and black. You've got Gold and Silver, the godlike uh, android, who is uh, who is the final boss to ruin Earth. But what I will say is that they they've got. Although you might not necessarily really know what's going on, other than you are gun stars and you're attacking these guys, they've got um, they're memorable. You know, the, the guy who looks like uh, Bison and the, and the commando looking guy, mm. they've got they've got a lot of you know cartoonish personality that kind of pops off the screen, even if you don't particularly know or care why they're there as such. Yeah, that's that they, have, they possess a lot of character and i think that's also amplified by the way the uh, the final level is displayed with uh, the big screen yeah. with all yeah. the the boss characters standing in front of it and running in and out uh, to to confront you yeah i love that sequence we'll we'll definitely talk a bit more about that later on but i think um where we should really start properly and all way in on is the sort of the opening experience of you know the the experience of playing the start of the game now Famously, uh, you can select any one of the first four levels to start the game with, but mm-hmm. it, it's pretty obvious that you should start on the left and work your way across. Um, <laughs> I think later later on in your Gunstar Heroes career, you might you might do things a different way, but I think most people will generally start on the left. It's the it's the friendliest looking green level, and I remember looking at screenshots and thinking, yeah, it looks kind of cool, but obviously not enough to get me to buy the game for several years. Mm-hmm. But when you fight, when I finally played it, I couldn't. It was like even more insane than I kind of pictured in my head. Just a ridiculous amount of explosions. All these, and it's just it's comical because there's all these tiny little yeah, there's the little no- the little yeah, gnomes what, running around. Yeah. What is going on? I mean, it and it and and one of the bo- like the mid level boss is a tree. It's like a, you know, it's basically like a tall. And and you know, there's some really clever um, sort of technical effects going on which allow it to sort of bend and phase but yeah. yeah just describe if you can if you can remember going back to this level let's start with dan like you say it had this um arcadey real arcadey look and feel that um it felt like a step up for the mega drive like, after years of it had always been a quite a good looking console compared to the eight bits but this felt like yeah just something new and like you say it just sort of popped off the screen and just the speed that it all worked at um Especially as it seemed to, um, you know, some games take advantage of the fuzziness of a CRT. Yeah. Um, it seemed to do very well at that, sort of giving you extra detail that isn't really there when you look at it as pure sort of, um, when you're playing it sort of pure pixels on an HD mm. screen, mm. Um, where it sort of masks and all goes a bit blurry, but it adds something to the detail. I just thought it was a, um, it's quite a, the funny thing is, it's not the most interesting looking of levels, but for that yeah. to be the opening, uh, and then you just, there's just a feeling that okay, it's only just going to get weirder and crazier from here on in. Yeah. That it is as crazy as it is, but as sort of basic and green and simple looking as it is, you just know it's just going to. This is um, 
kind of the yeah your appetizer for what then leads on into <laughs> this mad old roller coaster. Yeah, and it's just absolute mayhem when you start off like the you of course you're running around shooting everywhere and then the the little huts explode with lots of fiery yeah. explosions and pyrotechnics and the screen is constantly shaking and there's guys dropping in from the sky from the sides of the screen there's drones flying around it's just madness yeah i think with the huts exploding i think it's the early example of ludo narrative dissonance because if you look at what the guy <laughs> says at the beginning it's like you've got to save villages but you pile in there and there's like collateral damage absolutely everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. But what Dan was saying about, you know, the, making use of like the flickeriness of the screen, I think one of the things I noticed when I was going back through it is the, is the there's a lot of use of, heavy use of smoke and mirrors. You know, they, mm. they do a, they do a hell of a lot with not a lot. Um, like if you skip forward a bit, there's that, there's, there's a lot of, you know, you, there's a sense of motion all the time, you know, moving really quickly. But when you actually take a step back, it's like mm. there's not actually that much happening on screen. You know, your character is actually staying relatively still almost, or is mm. only moving a little here, a little way there. But they just make you look like so much is going on and like, you know, you're, you're darting about all over the place. Really, really clever. But I know when I first started playing it, um, I had to stop a couple of times just because it was, it was too much. I just, it overwhelmed <laughs> me a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. The, the, like every every single explosion results in multiple explosion yeah. sprites, yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. and the sound is really loud and booming, and there's this super urgent music, and yeah, so it's more of a yeah. If if you do if you did turn the sound off and take a step back and watch somebody else playing, it maybe it might it might feel a little bit more sedate and pedestrian. But when you're in there, it it does yeah. Even for its time, even you know, even coming to this after uh, contra. Contra 3, um, you know, and th- this was why, this is exactly what Treasures coders said when, when, when they were asked about why they were making Mega Drive games all of a sudden, having done most of their work specifically, not that Konami didn't do Mega Drive versions of their games, mm-hmm. they always did separate ones, but specifically these guys had mainly worked on the arcade and SNES stuff and they actually wanted to mer- work on the Mega Drive where they could move more individual you know, hardware sprite-based objects or whatever around the screen at any one time, mm. do more with the backgrounds and things like that um, without employing Mode 7, which is obviously something they'd done incredibly well on on Contra. Um, but this allowed, uh, you know, more of the art is... Uh, it, it feels like it's really... It still feels to me like it's more high-res than most Mega Drive games, and, and I don't see that it can be. I mean, that doesn't, you know, technically make sense. I don't think it had, like, a super high-res mode. But playing this on um, in, you know... Uh, actually, it doesn't have a sort of exact pixel match mode like the like the SNES games do on the three on the new 3DS. But um, I still think this this looks really incredibly bright and colourful um, and dynamic for a 16-bit game, even compared to a, a lot of other things that you know I've played in in recent times. I think it, it maintains its charisma incredibly well, even if it is, as you say, Simon, it's possible to kind of look at it a bit now and say oh actually i can you know i can see how they did that can see what they're doing there um but generally like again moving on to uh the level that most people will play next um which is the the train level right and that's uh with with the seven force boss that is the second one along, yeah. isn't it um this is kind of it's often cited as a kind of you know a, a showpiece level for 2d gaming in general um by the way uh expert tip don't play on easy because you don't get to see um 
this this level in in its full glory you only get three forms i think of mm. three of the seven forms of, of seven fours um but it scrolls you know the scrolling is ridiculously fast and smooth and we have seen stuff like this on on the mega drive from other developers technosoft thinking about thunder force and stuff like mm. that but but again just it feels like there's there's so much going on and, and it's inventive as well it's it's yeah, as well as controlling this character, and and there's some interesting things you find even in the first level where, like Contra, you can aim in different directions, but you've also got this these uh, the the different collectible weapons that you can uh, mix and match. But you've also got the ability to throw people, um, and and double jump. But as soon as you're on the second level, you're just starting to get used to this stuff, and then it puts you in a in a in a kind of yeah like a super speedy minecart that jumps from track to track. I love that the first few seconds of the cart level are quite pedestrian and slow. And you think, oh, okay, is this what it's going to be? Mm. This is kind of average. And then suddenly it just sort of zooms to this sort of like ultra light speed pace. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, now here we go. Yeah, and then you hear the booming sound when the trains start coming in. And there's some great examples of the sort of trademark humor of, of Gunstar Heroes and some of Treasure's other games here where you're scrolling along uh, vertically left to right and that makes sense and a train comes on and that makes sense i mean you know it's kind of weird it's a slightly sort of retro looking train in a futuristic world but that's cool it's got these characters hanging off the back of it and off the side that's funny in itself the enemy soldiers run around in panic with their arms up in the air when you set the train on fire that's brilliant but then there's a bit later in the level where you're you sun, suddenly it switches to you're scrolling vertically or rocketing vertically down this impossibly tall shaft and a train is then riding the tracks vertically down into the <laughs> down into the ground and, and it's that sort of what are they you know what are they going to throw at me next and and um yeah that sort of imagination that i think typifies gunstar heroes that makes it stand out a bit from other run and gunners does anyone else have any um fond memories of of this stage um or if not we can go straight on to uh seven force if you like the the gravity flipping element yeah, of it of course um yeah. adds to something that i've always felt about this game it always reminds me a little of strider yes um and so this is one of those uh particularly pertinent uh sort of comparisons where you can do you remember the level in strider where you're flipping up onto the uh you go through the gate absolutely and going onto the, yeah ceiling and what have you yeah. um but the whole game from start to finish has that kind of feel of um a journey you know where things are just happening at you <laughs> over yeah. and over again but yeah i just wanted to mention the gravity flipping just because a lot of other things in the game remind me of Strider, but that specifically. Yeah. yeah. It was also the, uh, the level where my five-year-old son started paying attention all of a sudden. Oh, really? Because he was, he was watching me, and he was like, yeah, whatever, it's daddy again with his, with his old games, you know? <laughs> and then the, the, the minecart level started, and uh, the crazy speed, and he was, uh, it was all of a sudden his eyes popped out, and he was saying, now this is cool. Oh, really? Mm. Interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you have to do a little... Um... Uh, a sort of double jump to get your cart to flip from uh, top to bottom. And that mm. becomes essential as the level goes on, as as the attack waves come uh, high and low. One of the things we should mention, I suppose, about the, the game design at this point is that depending on the, the weapon combo you pick up, this can be a very different game to play. Uh, now, I think it's sort of widely accepted that there is a kind of there are mm. certain setups that will make this game easy pretty much all the way through, and that generally involves the homing, uh, homing weapons. 
But I assume, I don't know, like, obviously Treasure picked up and ran with these ideas of multiple weapon systems, particularly in Radiant Silver Gun, where it's insane, like the different combinations and the, and the, the, the reasons for using all those different guns um, are the core sort of experience of that particular game. But here, um, there's no particular sort of risk-reward element, like there's no particular... Um, motivation to make it harder for yourself is there so i think generally people will end up playing with either homing lasers or homing green stars or or whatever to make the game that much more um doable but i think it's also interesting another thing that i think we need to mention is that compared to contra 3 which uh you know famously the contra slash hardcore games are difficult or challenging um you have one hit lives in those and you can run through your lives and then your credits very quickly. In this game, you've got a, you've got a, a, a number, not even a life bar, but a, an actual RPG style number as have the enemy bosses. And you can take quite a few hits. Um, and I'm, I don't know, does anyone have any insight as to why treasure might have gone with that system as opposed to the sort of more accepted way of doing a game like this which is where you know you get hit you die you can earn and collect extra lives but here you can stay alive for longer is it simply because it was a home only game or potentially um i I got always get the feeling that they wanted you to see as much of the game as possible um the whole thing with the selecting stage at the beginning i think that was really cool i've seen that before in thunder force before i played this or Thunder Force three and four. Um, uh, so I like that because if you if you hit a brick wall on one level, you can go and try something else. So I always felt it was like they, they wanted to make it accessible because um, there's loads of stuff going on in the game. There's loads of different ideas. Some work, some don't. And I always get the feeling they want you to see as much of it as possible. And the other thing is, I mean, I I I'm not skill wise. I don't think I'm a great great gamer. Um, I I actually think that if they'd have used like the contra system, you'd, you'd be dying a lot and not see much much of the levels at first. Um, I find it a really tough. I still find it a really tough game, um, even though I know it's yeah. I think it's yeah. challenging. Hmm. I know they would have rebalanced, but one hit kills as it stands now would I think yeah. be too punishing. It, it can be a difficult game as is. So yeah. And- maybe just internally they found that this is what worked best for them. Yeah, and the hmm. other thing is you don't automatically pick up health. You have to. No. You have to do it. You know, you have to manually pick it up. So That's right. if if you want, you can actually um, enforce your own difficulty curve because you don't have to pick that health. And up. same with the yeah, weapons because yeah, yeah. you, you do get bored of using the lightning and homing after a while, and you just think to yourself, "Well, why am I really playing this?" And then you just choose. I think, yeah, like you say, you can sort of tailor your own experience from that. It would have been really interesting, I think, if they'd because um, they they have added, as I say, some extra mo- uh, modes M two as regards to the the weapons mm. in the um, gunslinger mode, isn't it? Where you can mix and match your weapons at any stage on the fly. Mm. Um, it would have been interesting if they'd sort of uh, added a scoring system so that it was you know you got basically you got more points the kind of the the worse weapon system you equipped yourself with if they'd done that either in the original or in the three D yeah. version. Uh, that could have been some sort of incentive for high score chasing. Yeah. Also, my my theory is, uh, and it goes a little bit back to my biggest gripes with the game is also that yeah. the uh, the the large numerical HP uh, meter is kind of a accommodation for what I feel is often very um, sloppy 
design of of attacks and enemy patterns. Okay. Um, and I but I also have to. I also have to say that when I compare it to the likes of the better Contra games or Metal Slug, in which, yeah, you you, those games games are uh, designed to make it through without getting hit, and I think there's a yeah. lot of stuff that's damn near unavoidable in uh, in mm, Star Heroes. Yeah, that is that I'd say that's a fair criticism. There are bits where, uh, so um, this game has a few uh, vocal sound samples, including the uh, the laughing enemies and uh, and your gun stars going when they get hit um and that's something you will generally hear a lot now i think it i don't know i haven't done enough uh research on youtube to see if it's possible to complete this game with no hit no life lost but i do wonder it, it's certainly um not as obviously apparent a challenge as it might be as you say in something like contra or metal slug i mean there are bits in the metal slug games where I can't go through them without losing a life, you know, because I'm a human being, um, uh, and a, a rapidly aging one. But um, there are certain bits, um, again, depending on what weapons you use, um, where you can almost prevent enemies, bosses from even getting to certain attacks that they can use on you. But I do agree that there are sections where it feels like some damage is almost unavoidable. Mm. That said, um, I think replaying and learning the boss patterns will will get you you know so that you can certainly complete this without ever having to um you know lose a life lose a whole yeah. life you might just take a few hits but yeah there's no shield items or anything like that no. the only the only pickups are uh, extra health which comes in fairly small doses doesn't it it's normally like what 10 or 20 points yeah. or something yeah, like 20 that. um and and your weapon pickups but it, yeah i'd never really thought about it. it is interesting that you have to manually pick up your health as as you do as you do the guns that's quite unusual when i play the game it's uh i don't play it uh in the sense of i'm avoid uh, trying to avoid getting hit i'm trying to to minimize damage basically mm. without you know I'm, I, I, without just defending the game um for the sake of it playing devil's advocate slightly is that just because you haven't you know is it possible that if you played it more you could learn all those attacks and actually avoid everything or is it just do you think that is actually beyond beyond mm. possibility that's i i i can't really make a make a <laughs> make a judgmental statement about that mm. it's it might very well be possible but i feel like yeah there's a the game feels more more sloppy uh, that way than Contra or uh, or Metal yeah, Slug. I, I, okay. I do wonder though whether you know because there's the melee aspect is quite I've always found quite refreshing about this game, and I wondered if you didn't have the uh, the health score, to call it, um, you wouldn't have the chance to actually get in and make a lot of those um, melee moves. Mm-hmm. I think kind of think it gives you a bit more scope to actually get stuck in and use those. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's a very mm-hmm. fair point, and uh, I did also start. Using those uh, those melee moves quite a lot uh, later on. Uh, the more I started playing, yeah, I think they're quite powerful. They are, and I think I yeah. think later on in the game we'll probably get to this, but um, it does actually force you to use them against certain enemies and in certain situations. You ever tried doing a run? Um, you can't do it. I don't think entirely without shooting, but a run trying just as best you can just to use melee attacks <laughs> and the dives. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, and you can do a no hit run even on expert. Okay, wow. But that must be incredibly difficult. Yeah. I don't know if it's, it might be a tool-assisted speedrun that, that's there, but I'm not sure. It looks like it can be done. All right. right. 
Well, yeah, but maybe, you know, Mikhail's got a, a point that it doesn't maybe make it itself as obvious that, that that's possible. Um, and, yeah, maybe almost having the the fact that you can take hits maybe almost engenders a certain slight laziness in the player in terms of trying to not get hit. Mm. You know, yeah. I'm thinking back to playing Contra, both the original at the arcades, Grisel in, in, in Europe and and the SNES version, and it makes you, because you know how fragile you are, it's you know it's an even more intense experience and while gunstar heroes is an intense experience in in video gaming terms the fact that it's a home home game uh you know it's a retail game not a not a credit chewing arcade machine um sort of allowed them to go for this slightly separate route but it does yeah i think i think in me it's like oh, oh i've taken a hit and it can be quite frustrating you know you hear the noise and there are some bits where you actually you get kind of hit you get chain hit and that's always a frustration in games yeah. where you get kind of uh, uh 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 you know you're actually getting knocked about a bit so there's a very brief uh moment of invincibility very brief window i think but it's, it is not yeah. much yeah yeah that's right um, but yeah, it's, it is an interesting choice. And again, looking, I mean, Treasure have done a lot of games now across a, a huge amount of different genres. But thinking about their their shoot 'em up games, um, Ikaruga, Silver Gun, Gradius Five, um, they're all still really hard and involve one hit deaths. Mm. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> so this was obviously something that they you know they experimented with. Um, what's Alien Soldier? I can't remember because that's a notoriously tough game, and that's like yeah. an endless boss rush. Um, yeah. Does your character in that have a have a health bar? Or yes, it's yeah? the same as Gunstar Heroes. You can, okay. uh, except you can choose between a bar or numbers, but it's the same oh, okay. thing. It's just a different representation yeah. of. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. That's a game I'd love love us to cover, but it would involve completing Alien Soldier, and I think that might be beyond me. So, <laughs> so difficult. Yeah, yeah. I would love to give that a serious stab one day. Yeah, yeah. The Return of Seven Force, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've also already touched on it a little, but I think one of the things that. Um, really uh emphasizes the sort of freneticism of gunstar heroes is the the sound um and i want to talk first about the the sound effects because as well as you know the fact that your character has this pretty much constant stream of bullets unless you've got one of the uh homing attacks that stays on the screen and just kind of swells around doing its own thing but if you have like the normal you know cannon gun it just it, it's so fast it lo- looks like a rope it's like um it looks a bit like uh uh Turrican's old uh ball of uh rope of balls of flame sort of thing it's so <laughs> yeah. fast um but it's also the pulsing sound effects that this game has and the thing that um that both uh, the sound designer and the music uh, man got out of the Mega Drive here is that I would say still probably unprecedented top and bottom out of the sound chip. Um, you know, I, I love some of the sounds that the Super Nintendo made, but the Mega the thing that the Mega Drive had when used in the right hands. And you do hear some of the, the bad stuff about the Mega Drive sound chip in this game, such as the crunchy sound, uh, you know, speech samples and things like that. But the music and the sound effects are super crisp and super bassy at the same time. Um, and that, to me, uh, adds a lot to the experience. It makes it feel like a real crackerjack, a real, you know, sort of, I don't know, like a, like a Molotov cocktail of a game. It's got, it's just this constant sort of crescendo of, booms and cracks and you know the sound of an arcade yes not just an, an individual machine but the right. sound of an arcade it kind of reminds me of that the kind of just yeah things going coming from everywhere not that's yeah 
Um, and yet it seems really cohesive <laughs> at the same time as having this uh, sort of, yeah, soundscape of things come from all over the place. Um, mm. Like the music especially has this a cohesion to it that mm. where um, the instruments used are the same and uh, things are often in similar keys or bringing back certain mm. uh, themes and melodies, which I don't think you got quite so often then. Often Mega Drive tunes, uh, each track would, um, yeah, not exactly have different, instruments all the way through but would use different lead sounds and what have you but this seems to use like a a sort of coherent certain bed or template that Mm. everything comes from it's um it's it's grown on me over the years i didn't used to think it was one of the great soundtracks or um and sound design even but i think again it might just because i saw it as cacophonous a bit that's exactly Um, the word i was going to use yeah but i think that's exactly what i like about it now yeah (laughs) yeah and i have to agree with you you two really um i've been playing um Super Metroid alongside this, and it's uh, the juxtaposition mm. between the two is uh, immense. <laughs> whereas Super Metroid's got understated; it's lots of little sort of synthy riffs. This just sort of blasts you. Um, it reminds me a bit of um, I know when we, when we did the cave episode. It's got that kind of like mm. bombard the senses effect. Um, mm. But it's uh, yeah, it's great and um, yeah, really good. And I, I know what you mean about the basis of it. I, I've been playing this on my 3DS with headphones. And uh, you yes. really pick it up then, yeah, cracking. Yeah. Right from the title screen mm. as well, that just sort of kicks you in the face with this sort of like boom kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds like only, only a Mega Drive could. And again, you know, props to the work of, of M2 for actually managing to get that across in the 3DS version, which I don't think they fully managed to do on the, the Backbone version. So genuinely, you know, I'm not saying uh, don't, try out the uh, the backbone versions on steam or ps3 or 360 if if those are the ones available to you because the game is still the game but there are certain little uh sparkles of, of extra wonderfulness about playing the kind of the, the strongest strongest emulation i'm sure they're also there on uh on some of the better uh you know amateur emulators out there what's what's your mega drive emulator of choice folks uh fusion is what i've used for yeah, a long while there might be something better by now cool fusion um yeah so buy it on steam and then play it on fusion <laughs> also you never know with the, with the modding on steam someone might be able to re-implement the sound somehow well you know what's just talking of alien soldier um because the version of alien soldier that is currently on steam uh is the based on the pal cartridge um mm. someone's now done a mod to make it the ntsc version so you get excellent yeah, so you get the full speed, full full screen, uh, you know, uh, alien soldier experience instead of the compromised one. So, yeah, um, I don't see why not. People, modders are, you know, the modding scene is genius. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if if we get you know enhanced versions of things like Gunstar Heroes because they've got such a you know such a weight of of fan fan base behind them. Do you know the lauded uh, Giga Drive that M2 use on the 3DS? Uh, oh. versions okay. where it's um it's like a mega drive but with uh taking advantage of the, uh added ram and stuff like right, that so you don't yes, get I the flicker and what have you um yeah. makes you wonder and that's uh some emulators can do that as well so again it makes you wonder if someone could almost implement the 3ds kind of improvements into the steam versions mm-hmm. as well nice to see what people can do yeah definitely um and something that uh, Treasure obviously wanted to show off from from the off. Um, again, you know, we've seen, I think, Technosoft, when I think of, like, people who made the Mega Drive really sing on a technical level, as well as some, as well as, some of Sega's uh, in-house teams. I mean, you know, Streets of Rage 2, in many ways, is a sort of technical marvel. Um, mm. 
uh, I think Treasure really, you know, started pushing the boundaries. It looks in places to me without knowing the architecture and the Mega Drive or indeed how to make it work. But there are places where there's so much moving around and, and there's, you know, there's, there's um, you know, pseudo 3D effects with, with sprites making up like, you know, screen filling um, faces and things like that. There's even polygons used on the title screen and things like that, which is, <laughs> you know, which is outrageous for the Mega Drive, really. Um you know, and and uh, warping and scrolling skyscapes and 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 the ridiculously fast scrolling and and all that. Um, yeah, and you know, you guys are all people who are familiar with what the Mega Drive should and shouldn't be able to do. Now, I suppose we are in what the third generation of Mega Drive software here. We were five years into the mm-hmm. machine's life, um, maybe even the fourth generation. I don't know, but um, do you remember either at the time or looking now and thinking, "Wow, you know, that's impressive." Yeah, I, I... the color. I was definitely blown away by it because I, I mean, I, I kind of got I got my Mega Drive first, and I got my Super Nintendo, and the Super Nintendo completely wowed me at the time with the Mode Seven stuff. But then when I played this, it was like, wow, they're doing loads of really similar things. I think like on the, I think it's on the sixth level with the Core Guard system, it's like the, 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 the sort of the, the defense system, it's like a computer. It's some this some mad three D three D effects on that. It's, yeah, I'm not yeah. quite sure how how they did it. It took me years to realise that the um, boxes on the first level boss aren't actual polygons. They're fake. <laughs> they're sprites. But um, they actually look lit and shaded. But that's because that's what you can do with a sprite. It's a, like a, an early version of Donkey Kong Country right. kind of techniques, like using sprites to look like polygons. Silicon yeah. graphics workstation type stuff. Yeah. 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 And it's just the, the amount of colours you see on a screen. It's, it's still, of course... It has to conform, confer, uh, conform to 64 colors uh, as far as the limitations of the Mega Drive. Yeah. It, it, it looks like so much more. And they, yeah. they probably did a lot of, of mixing, mashing, layering. It's, uh, it's, it's really very much more colorful than most other Mega Drive games, maybe barring the Sonic games. Yeah, it definitely has that effect. And and as I say, I'm not sure what the... I don't know if there are tricks to make it display more colours. Is there a 256 colour mode on the Mega Drive? I'm not sure. Uh, no, it's 64, but they use... there's um You can have a shaded and a lit mode, like a highlighted mode. So there are darker and lighter versions of okay. any of those colours. That makes sense a bit like what the... Uh, I think the Commodore 64 and a lot of those systems did the same, where you could have red, but you could tell it to make the red half red, and then it makes it a different colour. Yeah, not sure. Not really as... Ho- yeah. Okay, yeah. Half tones. That's the one. Was it a palette of thirty-two thousand colors? I think the MD had compared to the the SNES had two hundred and fifty-six thousand or something like that. Uh, As I... context for what was going on uh, in the Mega Drive scene around then, um, there were a couple of other games that did do rotation and yes. scaling at the time. Pugsy had come out uh, that year, or was it was the same either the same time or just before and um wiz and liz both psychosis games yeah yeah and they both used a lot of those techniques as well again it's the um the marketing of scaling and rotation uh, on so- on a cartridge without any extra mm. stuff i think it was um yeah it was an up gunstar heroes was was an upping but there were a few other things at the time doing similar kind of work and flashback having come out and been a great port of the amiga game yeah um it was yeah things were the game was being stepped up i know that was rotoscoping which is kind of another cheaty way around making things <laughs> look a certain way but um yeah gunstar heroes was part of this movement i think of uh look what we can now do with the console that you may have had for four mm. or five years yeah um 
and I remember there was a, was there a game there was a game with a uh, was it Red no not Red Zone that was a bike game the the one with the helicopter oh, Subterranea uh, Subterranea yeah. was this year um, Red Zone was a little bit later yeah like 94, 95, but right. yeah, Subterranea by the same people Zerings mm. yes um, they, yeah, were, they were doing they were crazy crazy clever yeah yeah they SMV used, and all sorts are they Eastern European or, or something or Scandinavian or something uh, Scandinavian yeah, yeah sure anyway digressing again. Um, yeah, I wanted to go back. We, we kind of dived away from 7-4, Sarah, and I think we need to spend a bit more time on, on that and maybe any other boss uh, boss encounters that people wanted to talk about. But 7 Force is, um, you know, uh, something that usually gets mentioned when Gunstar Heroes is mentioned. Uh, and this ties in with our conversation about technical excellence as well, because um, normally when a boss a video game boss came along back in these days and sometimes things would change form um maybe once or go from one you know thing to another but seven force uh comes on and as well as you know this screen scrolling at eight thousand miles an hour and and it keep flipping from vertical to horizontal and so on this boss uh comes on and, and in in treasure style what became treasure style it kind of announces itself on the screen with some text in a very cool font which i like very much and then explains exactly what it is um and what it's going to do sort of thing so you know it, it mentions all these different forms and and then yeah as, unless you're playing on easy and you miss out on part of the experience seven force flips from various different guises a crab a gun a bird um a running robot man and um it's yeah like obviously on a technical level it's something that you know doesn't impress in the same way as it did back then unless you consider the host hardware it's on but it's still i still i still find it a very um exciting and intense sequence uh dan you you, you go back just about the furthest with with gunstar and you said you were blown away was seven force part of that yeah it's it's intimidating isn't it it's like um you don't know what the develop. Well, you kind of don't know by that point in the game what they're going to do next, anyway. But this is a real sort of uh, statement of intent. Of look, you don't know where we're going now. Like the gun is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> that's a joke that will work any time, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like it's just it's just so simple and basic to for it to turn into a gun. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I knew it was going to transform. Could, I think I'd read in reviews that there was a transforming boss, but sure. until you see it moving and mm. all of the parts just switching around, it's the best transformery type looking thing yeah. I think I'd seen at that point at least. It's um, it's beguiling, yeah. Unless you're playing on on uh, harder expert, the uh, intro text is also very useful because it tells you exactly which forms you're fighting if you have fought it a couple of times before. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know you know what to expect. And uh, I really enjoyed cracking this nut and trying to fi find out the different attack patterns and trying to find out how I could stay out of harm's way as best as possible and do deal the deal heavy damage all the time. Uh, it was uh, it, it was all, it's also just a really fun boss to to fight apart from all the technical wizardry going on at the same time. Mm. So this was one where you felt that the design was um, slightly more thoughtful in terms of allowing the player to learn the encounter than some I of the others? It, I think it generally goes more for the boss fights than the in-between yeah. sections, actually. Uh, okay, right. So, yeah. yeah. So I think the, uh, the, the boss fights are, uh, yeah, it's, it's, the attacks are quite well communicated with some of them. Like the bird, I didn't know what was expected of me at yeah. first, for example, where I was safe and where I wasn't safe when it was changing shapes. But after a while, you catch up, after fighting it a couple of times, dying a couple of times, you, you start catching on. 
Yeah, and it's not always the same, is it? This this game, Gunstar Heroes, it the bosses don't always behave in exactly the same sequence of attacks. Yeah. Is that like the, it mixes things up a bit? It's not one hundred percent predictable. It seems like it's kind of responding to what you are doing as a player. Mm-hmm. Seems mm-hmm. seems that way. Yeah, I know. On the on the flying battleship level, there's the boss. I always remember, other than um, Seven Forces, the, the farting colonel. Um, yeah. Oh. Um, that definitely doesn't have a. He definitely doesn't have a set attack pattern, um, and I always got the sense that it was kind of. It could tell what I was going to do, or was kind of reading what I was going to do. But um, yeah, the bosses, the bosses. Reading your mind. Yeah, but the bosses, the bosses on <laughs> treasure of that. Well, the bosses uh, as a whole, though, they're um, really playful. Like I love the the names are brilliant, and mm. you know, Pinky Roda. Pinky Roda, which looks like it's being <laughs> dri- uh, driven by uh, Kim Jong Un at one point. Uh, and but there's um papaya dance which is the, the tree um yeah and then yeah. i think when we go on to the i'm sure we'll cover black strange fortress but some of the names are brilliant i think there's like curry and rice um super super go- yeah. Oh, yeah. super <laughs> gondola um and then later on there's like duck battalion which is great because that that gives you a hint yes. about how to deal with in pink lobster it's it's just daft i i, I really really enjoyed the boss boss confrontations this i think Really, to me, that are partly what make the game. Uh, uh, yeah, fantastic. I agree. That sense of humour is that runs throughout is is a lot of what I like and remember about this game the most. Mm. I think you know I've played as we all have a lot of run and gun games and a lot of games with you know technical wizardry and that sort of thing. But I think the thing that fans of Gunstar Heroes kind of oh, treasure about it again. Sorry, <laughs> are mm-hmm. are. The, those moments of humour and, and that, that level of silliness um, that give, gives it its charisma above and beyond just, you know, A, another generic, uh, you know, fast scrolling blast them up. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, not to denigrate any of those, um, you know, Contra 3 is, is, is a game that, you know, um, I hope we'll cover again and, uh, and, is, and is magnificent, but it does take itself far more seriously. And, may, you know, maybe that's particularly what, um, you know, we can only speculate, but maybe these particular people who left Konami and didn't, you know, they obviously wanted to express themselves a bit more. Maybe that was one of the things that they wanted to do, which was get away from the, you know, slightly humorless, uh, serious stuff and, and make this game that's absolutely chock full of just silliness, really. It's... um. They did present the idea to Konami as well, didn't they? And it was turned down. So, did Contra Hardcore right. come come out after uh, after Gunstar Heroes? Yeah. Or before, because there's a lot. It's of interesting co- how Konami's games ended up being yeah very treasure like. Yeah, because it, that that game is full of kookiness as well and just weird stuff and and weird humor. But not a life bar, sadly, <laughs> making it almost <laughs> impossible to finish for yeah. for mortal people. Um. Yeah, uh, the the yes, Black's Black Palace, the Dice Palace, Black's Fortress. What um, the 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 board game level is how I've always yeah. referred to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is um, again, a, a, probably a, like one of the set pieces that Gunstar Heroes is is best renowned for. Um, I again, I don't think I'd seen anything quite like this in a game before. I know people uh, five years after this people very fondly remember we talked about it in a previous cane of rinse the uh the board game section towards the end of banjo kazooie mm-hmm. um this is slightly different to that but in its 2d way you know you you'll suddenly find yourself in a room with like a you know a very simple sort of monopoly board or snakes and ladders type 
setup and a and a die and you get to pick up and throw that die like you've been meleeing other things throughout the game and then you move the number of spaces that the die showed and and uh and that puts you into various uh yeah one-off situations including a gunless situation which is obviously mix things up exactly as you were talking about dan trying to play the game with melee only um various boss encounters some of which are sort of unique to the to this area or they're in some some cases they're remixes but in some cases they're specific to this part of the game uh, as i recall um and then there's a couple of really nasty ones well there's at least one which sends you all the way back to the start which is just cool yeah. Um, no, that's the yeah. best one because then it means you get to play it again. <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me. I, yeah. I think. Uh, I think. Um, I know we'll get on to the uh, GBA game, but I think they, when they did it this time, they got it. They got it right. But I found when in the GBA one, it got really frustrating. Mm. Like getting sent back to the beginning. Because this one, it felt like brief enough to for it not to get too boring or not to get you know, right. get jaded by it. Um, what I really liked it, what it reminds me of is uh, one of the late games, which is, uh, I can't remember how to say it, it's Bangayo, Bangayo, where it feels, <laughs> on, it's, it's got like a puzzle element to it. It's like, right, we're going to yes. present you with uh, an enemy and you have to defeat it in this way. You have to use this skill that you've learned throughout the course of the game up until this point. Like there's one way you have to, it feels like you can only really use the melee moves. There's one which is, um, you know, you have to rely on sort of jumping attacks. Um, I thought it was really smart. I, this is probably the bit that always stays in mission games level. It's quite clever. And uh, we already mentioned it, but I'd like to talk about it a bit more. The uh, Actually, which order does it come in? Is it, uh, it's the shoot 'em up level before the big screen boss level? Yes. Yeah. 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 So the, the, the 2D shoot 'em up level, um, one of our correspondents was not happy about this stage at all. <laughs> um, and I think this level, perhaps more than the others, even more than the others, I should say, depends on what weapons you've got. Um, so I was playing this a couple of nights ago and I started it one time with just a regular, one of the regular, you know, Vulcan uh. cannon type situations that made it very, very challenging. However, uh, if I picked up the uh, the homing lightning, um, suddenly it was really quite easy so uh it really it really does come down to to which weapon you've got actually moving the, sh the ship I, I think the the criticism i would level at this section is that the ship and its hitbox is uh too large for the screen perhaps but um but i i, I didn't mind this you know mixing up it's a kind of tradition to have a have a, a scrolling shoot -em up level in the middle of a run and gun I think it really catches people off guard, off guard who mm. are who got in it for playing a platform shooter or a run and gun game, and then yeah. all of a sudden they're playing a, a style of game they're maybe not quite used to or not quite fond mm. of. Yeah, and are having a very tough time getting through it. I, That's interesting. Um, yeah, I really don't like this <laughs> this level. Um, right. I think okay. <laughs> but you like shooting. That's, that's the problem. I kind of you know. Yeah. I, okay. I, you know, I'm a big that too. That I'm too. a big fan of that genre, so. I, yeah. I've got fairly high standards, I guess. Um, and one of my pet hates about shmups is having overly large sprites. Yes, um, yes. Uh, it's like the like Chowaniki games. Oh, horrible. Um, yeah. Uh, and this, it just, it was, it just felt really, well, I hate this word, but clunky. It, 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 mm. One of the criticisms that's often leveled at Treasure is that they, they can be a bit gimmicky at times. 
Um, mm. I don't subscribe to that. You know, I think it's great they throw these ideas at you. Um, yeah. But the, the the way this sort of handle and the way the ship moves about, like you're right, talking about the hitboxes, it, it did feel a bit gimmicky. Like it was like, oh, let's just throw this in there. You know, it'll look really, that'll be really cool. Sure we yeah, can do it. yeah. And it yeah. didn't quite. Yeah. I didn't think it was that successful. But like I say, that's me. Me with my uh, my high standards and abstention ups, I guess. Well, I'm the same. I think it's a better way of getting the characters from ground to space than just a cutscene telling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd rather have one than the other. I don't like it that much as a level, but it, it works contextually and, like you say, it's um, it's just treasure doing their treasure thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sh- sure, and 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 I do agree with you, Simon. Like, uh, no way would I. It, there's no way that I would come on here and say and treasure by the way you know in the middle of this run and gun game they made their first ever classic 2d spaceship shoot up <laughs> level because i don't i don't think it is that however yeah. for me if you pick up the right weapons it, it's it's playable enough and it it provides a bit of a break and what i what i would say is like mikhail's point is absolutely spot on about the idea that you might be like in this day and age, you might be like a run and gun fan and not a 2D shoot 'em up fan. But in 1993, if you liked video games, you know, you should, you could almost certainly, you would be experienced in 2D shoot 'em up genre. If you were, if you were experienced in a, in a, in a run and gun platformer, you would have also grown up playing 2D shoot 'em up. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been much of a leap. But, but I, again, yes. Uh, ships, ships a bit. I don't know why they made it so sizable, but maybe again, it's the life bar thing, isn't it? If they'd made it one hit kills, they yeah. could they could have brought in one hit kills just for this level, um, but then that could have potentially made it a real uh, sticking point difficulty cliff spike, and um, and and then people would never have got to the uh, the rather cracking and hilarious uh, sort of final showdown. So, yeah, what is really good about the space level is being able to fight the bosses but at a different scale yeah where yeah, you get a kind superb. of a, a twist on the boss rush rush where um yeah they're all at a different scale but they're still using the same patterns that you fought them with originally but it's just a, a different challenge yeah seven yeah. force turns up all mini like all tiny yeah 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 i think if if this would be a game in itself it would uh completely suck excuse the word uh, as a as a 2d shooter but as a little intermission it's uh it's fine with me also you i think what's kind of to get through the uh, the, uh that section as painless as possible uh without having the ideal weaponry you have to really abuse that speed boost move all the time and you just have to zip 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 all across mm-hmm. the screen uh, to get out of harm's way yeah, no, it's, it's it it requires a different playing style from your your average uh, horizontal scrolling shooter as well. That's true, and it's probably possible unless you you know try out all the buttons. It's probably possible to actually attempt this level without even knowing to use the zippy speed boost move because you might never think to press the the other button. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. But then, uh, once you've arrived in space via your overly large spaceship, um, there is this uh, this final. Uh, assault this rush on the uh on the main the main guys from from the enemy forces and i still every time even though i know this is coming and i've played it through on on a number of occasions on different systems i still every time get tickled amused and slightly surprised by the fact that i'm watching on a big screen and then i suddenly notice that the number of people watching the screen is dwindling because they're coming out to fight me on the surface of the planet (laughs) it's so cool i love this i just think such a great idea 
And there's a lot going on uh, out there as, uh, on, in front of the screen as well. Like you see, like the little guy with the with the with the shades coming back and yeah. shaking his head, and then the the girl starts telling him off. And there's there's a lot of a lot of detail there. Yeah, real you know cartoon humor. Um, so you know we started by talking about the lack of you know kind of plot scenario or serious you know um, narrative or anything like that. But actually, it just doesn't need it because you've got all these, you know, very distinct looking, quite funny looking bad guys actually interacting in almost it's like it's like silent comedy, isn't mm. it? Because there's no there's no dialogue. There's no, um, that I you know, sometimes I miss we, we talk about a lot of different games of Ken and Reese. We talk about modern games with with, uh, you know, decent quality scripts and voice acting and stuff. But there is something about the charm of, of the, the eight and 16 bit era where they had to communicate everything with you know, very simple animations and, and over the top sort of gestures and things like that. Um, and it gives it a whole, yeah, like a, you know, like a classic cartoon charm. These are our sort of, I think of these as our sort of Warner Brothers Looney Tunes of, of gaming in a way. Yeah. And um, I to um, quote uh, Holgazuke, the bass player from Cam, um, mm. technical limitation is the mother of invention. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. Um, I think I, I think you have to put a lot of uh, personality into the into the sprites to convey a lot of the um, a lot of the story in this. Um, with more modern games, I find that it's you know you can just dump a load of um, exposition in a you know sort of badly done cutscene. Whereas I think you need a bit more um, nuance with with something that's a bit more limited technically. Now. Uh, let us move on. I don't think we'll spend nearly as much time on this. Maybe that's terribly unfair. I don't even know if all of us have played this. Um, I did play it. Uh, Gunstar Superheroes, which for no real good reason other than I suppose people could have confused it with a Batman or or a Marvel game or something, was localised to Gunstar Future Heroes in the EU, which kind of slightly makes the title a bit more clunky. Uh, this was uh, published by Sega again in 2005, October, November. Um, now, I don't think I bought this straight away, but I picked it up as soon as I could get it, you know, sort of sub £15. It, it did actually come down in price quite a lot, this one. It was, it was, uh, and it was quite widely available. Uh, some GBA carts tended to disappear almost as soon as they hit the shelves, but this one was knocking around in stores for a, for a good while. And of course, you know, having affection for Gunstar Heroes, I picked it up at some stage, and uh, and I played it through. Um, but I haven't been back to it, and I have to say, I don't sort of have nearly as many sort of uh, striking memories about it. Now, this makes me wonder whether my affection for Gunstar Heroes is to do with the time that I first played it, even though it was a bit late for that game. It was still the you know late nineties, whereas playing this in the mid two thousands. Maybe, you know, maybe the sort of the allure of these things have worn off. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy it, uh, you know, far from it. And the reviews for this game were pretty excellent, you know, uh, eight out of tens plus kind of across the board. But um, despite many of the, the, the team returning, I didn't feel that this game was, you know, quite as uh, special as as the game that preceded it by uh by 12 years um so who else of the panel has played this one? yeah i've played I've, I've got a copy of this i was playing earlier on today um i i didn't have a handheld until the ds so i 
always um, hit a bit of a wall with uh, handheld consoles for some reason, but the DS was the first one I got mm. on with, and one of the first things I did was pick up a couple of old GBI, GBA titles that I'd missed, and mm-hmm. one yep. of them was this, um, Astro Boy, which is another treasure title, yes. absolutely cracking yeah. game, and um, uh, the Tactics Ogre that was on um, GBA. Right. Uh, but of yeah, course. I was desperate to play this because I was a big fan of the original game, and it's, um, it's, it's a good game, um, but it's a bit like... Analogy I can sort of give it is it's a bit like comparing sort of We Love Katamari to Katamari Damacy in that it's it's, right. it's a remix um, that does it's, it's a bit bit diluted in comparison um, although it's still a great game. I found the problem with this one is that um, the size of the screen and the fact that the the sprites are slightly larger on this than the original yeah. mm. sort of diminish the effect that the you know, the punchiness of the original. You know, there was loads going mm-hmm. on on screen with the first one, you know, these smaller sprites, loads happening, whereas this, it felt a bit more compact. Um, and, yeah. you know, they, they, they kind of like basically, um, I'm so a bit mean, so they reskinned the um, the levels from the first game. They they, they mm-hmm. remixed them, so it was quite nice that you kind of, oh, it's this, it's that. It's like the it's like the um, the temple from the first level of the original is something like a snow-capped um, mountain type thing. Um, uh, but yeah, I just uh, it, it's good, but I, I, I it doesn't quite have the same magic. And like I mentioned earlier, with the the dice palace equivalent, I think they kind of thought they mm. must have thought, wow, that everyone really loved this level. Let's make it bigger. And that's right. All that happens, that happens to me is that I end up getting stuck in this loop. And there's one one particular yeah. piece where it's um, cannons firing at the ground you're standing on, and you end up just falling mm. through. I just got stuck on that. Um, it's quite frustrating. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a good game, but it's not the magic of the original. I think it was intended as a sort of loving homage. Yeah. But um, like you say, just the certain uh, the two big sprites, which are, ends up feeling like the shoot 'em up level from the original. It all feels like that sort of slightly too claustrophobic kind of feel all in one. Yeah. But um, I, like again, I think it's. The spectacle of it all means it's worth a playthrough. I'm sure we've all played through it once or twice, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. but again, I don't think I'm sure. Like, have any of us gone back to it? No. Uh, well, apart from apart from the last week, well, today, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I, don't know, I feel a bit bad. I kind of with a downer on it. It's not. It's not like I say. It's not a bad game. It's just. It's just lacking. What it's doing technically with yeah. GBA is quite incredible. It's 60 frames a second, and um. Oh yeah. Some of the sprite work rotating is, is just yeah. something else. Yeah. It's got mode seven um, style stuff. Obviously, the GBA, you know, has some sort of uh, relationship to the Super Nintendo in that that's what you know when 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 they put the GBA out, they were looking at bringing some you know previously Super Nintendo only games to like Final Fight and Ghouls and Ghosts and things to to a handheld market. So it sort of makes sense and it also makes sense that treasures technical whizzes who uh were blooded on contra 3 came back to the super nintendo but i think um as well as it missing some of the sort of it feels like gunstar heroes was like a uh you know it was like the first flourishes of this studio kind of busting out from the from the the the, the corporate system and going right we can do whatever we want and uh, and i'm not saying that this game was you know made un- under any corporate pressure i'm just saying that it was made 12 years later after they'd already done loads of other stuff so i think it just has that sort of hallmark about it but mm. again like like you say i don't want to 
I don't want to be too down on it because I think if you have a, a Game Boy Advance library or an emulator, um, Gunstar Future Heroes or Super Heroes is is well worth checking out as a as a fun handheld run and gun game. But yeah, it just feels like a slightly slightly not diluted, but ever so yeah. slightly lesser kind of. I mean, the other thing as well is it doesn't have the um, weapon combo system from the first game. Which mm. It's kind of key. Got one of the main elements. USP. Yeah. Even yeah. though you end up using only one combination. <laughs> well, man, that's fair. <laughs> no, not only one, but of course yeah. there's one. One is much better than the other. Yeah. No. But uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't played uh, Gunstar Superheroes, uh, Gunstar Future Heroes, except for one level. Okay. I recall um, because there was a, a guy at my uh, one of my previous jobs who had the game, and he was stuck in the top-down shooting up level with the helicopter that you you have to move through a lot of funnel areas and yeah. small spaces. So yes. he asked if I could do it, right. and I breezed through it in one go. He was stuck there for ages already. Oh, I love doing that. That was my only hands-on experience with the game, but I've I've looked at uh clips and uh and little videos of it and i must say i, I wasn't really feeling the uh character redesigns either no. too much no i agree i think generally it's considered that of uh treasures game boy advance output astro boy amiga factor is is the one to go for um it kind of has in some ways although it's a license it has more of a more of the feel of of insanity that the original mm. gunstar heroes had somehow yeah uh, there is one level worth a mention that is a tribute to two other Mega Drive games unrelated to Treasure. Mm. Um, there's the level, it's kind of a cross between uh, Sonic's original bonus stage where you're rotating around and then uh, Flicky. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. Flicky in a Sonic bonus flicky, stage. Flicky, of course. The... <laughs> yes, yeah. I'd forgotten the Flicky level. Yeah. No. What a bizarre level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of Flicky. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a, a game that uh, yeah, doesn't, doesn't get a lot of love. Um, there was something that came out recently that I was like, everyone was going on about being, you know, some cool new indie hipster game. And I was like, but it's just flicky. <laughs> <laughs> and, that uh, happens so often, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's a total digression. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I think fi- final thing on, on this um, is that while I, you know, I didn't, I didn't spend enough time with it to uh, like have memorized the soundtrack. Now the the musician uh, Norio Hanzawa non came back, uh, and I, I bet if I now just sort out the sound uh, the soundtrack on on YouTube or wherever, I would think, wow, there's some cool tunes in here. But again, it comes back to my very strong association with that Mega Drive, the the Mega Drive ish sound of the original game didn't feel it actually really changed the feel of playing the gba game nothing against the gba sound chip whatsoever or 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 their work on the sound it's just the actual the the technical sound of that particular you know that particular sound chip to me is like um you know symbiotic with the appeal of gunstar heroes They've sampled the actual Mega Drive sounds for some of the samples, but being closer to a SNES chip, everything's a sample, so they've yeah. felt the need to replace some with um, slightly higher quality synths, quote, quote marks higher quality right. synths, because we're quite um, reedy. But yeah. Well, they've tried to upgrade it, but like you say, it ends up sounding like a sort of diluted, wishy-washy yeah. equivalent. Strange, isn't it? Mm. And yet they're the same songs in the vast majority of the game. Oh, okay. Right. That's, oh, that's interesting. I need to go back and have another listen, but uh, here we go. 
Right, we've got a little uh, feedback from the community. Um, a couple of posts. One from Gaia Pinto. And this is somebody who's come to Gunstar Heroes this very year. That's at the time of recording. It is 2016. Gaia Pinto says, I had never played Gunstar Heroes before 2016. I didn't even know much about it, but when I saw it on the podcast schedule, I decided to pick it up on my 3DS. I've really been enjoying M2's work on the Sega Genesis classics, and after I did a bit of research on the game, I was really excited to play this side-scrolling classic. In my opinion, playing Gunstar Heroes in the year 2016 is a tale of two games. The first four levels of the game are awesome, but the second half is frustrating and not much fun. In the first four levels, the pace is frantic and the descriptor run and gun is fitting as you sprint through the levels as quickly as you can, blasting everything you see. The music still sounds great, the boss sprites are still impressive, and there is enough freedom in the weapon choices to replay each level multiple times. My favourite combinations were Force Chaser and Force Lightning, but experimenting with all of the weapons was a blast. Unfortunately, the last three levels were difficult and tedious. It was legitimately thrilling to find myself controlling a spaceship at the end of the game, but that excitement turned to boredom and irritation as I died again and again and again. Kudos to them for trying something new and different at that late stage, but I don't think that ship controlled well at all, and getting knocked around by asteroids because I couldn't get my laser beam to fire in the correct direction was infuriating. The boss rush at the end of the game was also too hard, though by that time I had switched to using save states to brute force my way through the ending of the game. I know that huge difficulty spikes halfway through the game are a product of their time, and they were a way to both discourage people beating games on rentals or feeling like the game wasn't long enough. But it still marred a game for me that up until then was fantastic. I'd heartily recommend Gunstar Heroes, with the caveat that you shouldn't feel the need to beat it completely. Uh, yes, Gaio Pinto raises uh, the interesting point there that Pretty much anyone who plays this now, unless you play it on the original hardware, will have the option of abusing save states. Um, and this is something that I didn't... I, I did I did use the save state feature on the 3DS version, but it wasn't abuse, it was just, you know, use to keep a save game. Um, I didn't find to complete the game on normal, at least, was beyond me, even at my advanced age. Um, and I think that this is a game that, as arguably we did to Zelda 2, could actually be harmed by the abuse of save states and is probably therefore best played honestly. Anyone got anything to say on that? Yeah, I don't want to come as, uh, off as uh, elitist, but I'm generally against the use of save states. Like it's, uh, um, it just, it, it, I don't think it increases your enjoyment of a game at all. Um, you just use save states to to see it through the end of the game, but all you do is see. You don't really play the game as it was meant to be. So I would advise, actually, if you can't get any further, just leave a game alone if it's not for you, and if you get too frustrated, rather than using save states. Fair point indeed. Now, uh, this final piece of correspondence from Evil Ninja Phil is it, not something we'd normally entertain because it it brings up the uh, the unpleasant spectre of uh, the format wars, but. I think because this is about the 16-bit era and it's done with uh, tongue very much firmly in cheek, I think it's okay. Uh, obviously, Kane and Rince remains a completely format-agnostic podcast um, and thinks that uh, format-related fighting is for tiny children. Even Ninja Phil says, Gunstar Heroes are cracker, but it was also a game that could be used in the great Mega Drive SNES Wars of the early 90s. Ah, Halcyon Days. The playgrounds rang with arguments over the merits of Mode 7 compared to arcade quality of Sega's machine. 
Us Sega owners mostly lost, though. Those SNES games were generally technically more impressive. They had superior multi-format releases, and those SNES owners knew it. But they didn't have Gunstar Heroes. They didn't have all those sprites flying around, that music, all the hot laser death. Well, hot green star death. Everyone knows double green stars is the best. I learned this on a Saturday, the day after a sleepover at a friend's house. The game was a rental, and it was played to death as the time ticked down to it having to be returned, controller being passed around, everyone sucked in by the tight controls and intense action. And then Seven Force and the Dice Palace, idea after idea thrown at you, mainly to be shot at by a developer on top form. This may have been one of the first times I took proper note of who made the game so I could play more of their work as they were released. And those smug SNES owners, some people don't like us saying SNES apparently, SNES, and those smug SNES or SNES owners didn't have it. Chalk one up for the Sega Posse. This is why you had to have all the consoles, and you still do. (laughs) (laughs) Some three-word reviews from Twitter. It seems that uh, we didn't get a ton for this. Maybe it's just because it's old. Maybe it's slightly niche. But anyway, we have one each to read out, starting with Dan. Uh, Gaio Pinto says, never stop shooting. Evil Ninja Phil, green star forever. Stuart Neal, frantic, bombastic chaos. And Peter Cleaves says... Almighty Seven Force. Excellent stuff. Thank you. Remember to listen out for uh, our requests for uh, three-word reviews on the day of recording. Usually follow us at Kane and Rince. Uh, we normally get a few three-word reviews uh, submitted 24 hours, sometimes 48 or 36 hours, 36 or 48 even hours after we've put the request out. So watch out for that. <laughs> By that time, it's too late. So let us summarise our feelings about Gunstar Heroes. The game, the franchise, whichever you prefer. Would you recommend people seek it out? How should they play it? So on and so forth. Do you love it, Simon? Yeah, I do. Um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a special game in that it's, it's Treasure's first game. And um, Treasure are you know, quite a fascinating developer. who some absolutely cracking games over the last uh, 25 years. Um, and I think, you know, if you've got any interest in uh, the roots of treasure you should definitely check this out um I'd, I'd recommend playing probably playing the 3ds version which is as i said it's a lovely put together um uh port by m2 um you know not everything in the game works it's not perfect but there are so many ideas going on that you can't help but love it really um uh you know i think this is one of the, the key elements of treasure's output is this kind of like a, a restless, a never-ending sort of flurry of new ideas. Some of them uh, they stick with, and you see them in future games. I think you can see that here in some of the later titles, and some of them they they just discard. Um, so in that respect, uh, you know, yeah, definitely, definitely seek it out if you can. Uh, if you've got a 3DS, pick it up on that because um, yeah, I think it's a it's a cracking game. Lovely, thanks, Simon, and Mikhail. Yeah, I think my sentiment uh, echoes Simon's for for the largest part. Um, I'll I'll start out with what I uh, what I dislike about the game, and then no, and on a more positive note. Uh, so yeah, it's the uh, what I, what I've gotten into before already. I think it's apart from the boss battles, it's uh, the, it's kind of sloppily designed the the uh, enemy attack patterns and um, 
also um what i dislike is that the uh even though i really like um the idea of weapon experimentation there's some some real unbalanced stuff in the uh in the weapon configuration so mm. I only late later on in the, in the game I discovered that if I would hold the fire button while having the uh, lightning and seeker weapon combined, it would just destroy bosses like by itself, and I could just <laughs> hop around the screen and and avoid the attacks and just let them get killed uh, killed very fast. Um, and also, I think the two player mode is, uh, was a little bit disappointing. It's uh, I found I found it not much. Uh, not much great help with the second player and you get the the thing where you start throwing each other around the screen unwillingly all the time yeah but uh on the other hand i love the boss battles in the game technically it's amazing uh i also like the uh, uh that it's a very early example of set pre uh, set piece driven level and encounter design that you could also see previously in contra spirits especially the first level um so it's very very eventful uh, to to play through it um and um you see a lot in this game um you see a lot of what made later treasure games really great um a lot a lot of ideas already are already in place there and i think also with with all like with all treasures games it, and even the bad ones it's uh I, I do consider myself a, a fan of the company. I own uh, the majority of their of their output, um, and uh, even with the bad games that they they made, um, for example, Stretch Panic or Freak Out on the PS2, they're never never boring games. You know, there's always something interesting to experiment with and to experience when you play them. So in that sense, it's um, yeah, Gunstar Heroes. I don't think it's really a bad game. I think it's a, it's a, I like it a lot. Uh, but it's, it's really, it keeps you engaged from the, from uh, beginning to end at least. So, um, I would conclude saying that I can't really place the game in the, in the pantheon of the greats in the genre like Metal Slug or Contra, but I do like it a lot. Lovely, thank you. Well done for mentioning the, the two-player co-op. Um, I did mean to mention that, but I've literally never sampled it. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I do understand that it is because there's only cert, you know there's only certain amount of space to stand uh, on the screen. It's very easy to start throwing your compatriot around the place. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's nice that it's there, and I, I believe the performance doesn't suffer. Uh, even on the original hardware, I think it still no. runs at crazy, uh, you know, crazy lick. Uh, so if you want that, it's in there. So and there's even a little bit of balancing going on there. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, is there? So yeah, if you play with two players, okay. uh, you do less less damage to enemies and bosses uh, oh, to okay. to not make it too uh, too easy. So nice. that's cool. Yeah. Cool again. Good stuff. Yeah. So um, there are certain games from this era that. I have been back to dozens and dozens of times and finished over and over again. Uh, the Streets of Rage games, the first two anyway, Sonic the Hedgehog, Golden Axe, and, uh, and a number of others. And Gunstar Heroes isn't actually one of those. Um, I came to it a bit later for whatever reason. Um, but since I finally, you know, sort of latterly discovered it, I've been back to it a few times uh, on different formats. And every time I consider it a treat, it's a real crackerjack of the game. Uh, crackerjack of a game it's thrilling and charismatic and funny 
Um, it's the sort of game that I play with a with a smile on my face, um, even through some of its yeah more frustrating sections. I, I agree with Mikhail that I think some of the actual the the level design is um, it's it's a bit it's a bit too chaotic and messy in that you can't necessarily or you don't feel like it's easy to um, or it's it's going to be rewarded to actually play it without getting a hit, uh, without being hit, I should say, um, but the sheer level of sort of joie de vivre and imagination shown by the developers uh, are more than enough to keep one going even through the frustrating bits uh, to see what's to see what comes next to see what they've put in and for me kind of when i just think about you know you know you probably most of us get like a, a sense an image a, a feeling when we think about a game and for me it's it's very much wrapped up in the sound of the game and the that that crunchy mega drive sound and this slightly odd soundtrack it's um it's really driving music but it's also it's got some really unusual sort of um chord sequences and stuff that make it sound ever so slightly bizarre which sort of juxtapose nicely with the the silliness of some of the humor in the game the surreality of it um and i think it is a real treat it's it's like not necessarily I would say, right, Gunstar Heroes is one of my favourite video games of all time, but I think it's a really sort of memorable um, experience that people should seek out if they have an interest in the history of the medium um, and the 16-bit era in particular. And yes, that uh, 3DS, 3D Gunstar Heroes, it's called, it costs about £4.50 or something. I don't know what that is in euros or dollars, a bit more. Um, but it's well worth owning on your on your 3DS, I would say. And let's conclude with Dan Clark. Um, okay, so it's not my favourite Mega Drive treasure game. Um, I'd go for Dynamite Heady. I'm going to be that one sort of person putting their head over the parapet and, uh, and <laughs> championing that. But um, There's no wrong opinions here, Dan. But at the time, it was this um, sort of new wave of Mega Drive software, which I suppose alludes to even Ninja Phil's kind of playground wars. Now, I was 17, I wasn't. I, I liked both consoles a lot. There were so many good SNES games at the oh. time that, like you say, it was one yeah. of those generations where owning souls was the <laughs> the way to go if you wanted to play the best of what was there. But then I look back now and I dread to think of how long over the past 23 years I've spent like throwing the dice just idly. Do you know what I mean? Like not like you know where you have to you can grab it before it lands on itself and then yeah. throw it again. Just playing that for yeah. minutes at a time, and I wonder how long <laughs> I've done that for. Or um, hovering in the minecart level between top and bottom, you know, where you can uh, sort of, yeah. um, and you can get a flow and a rhythm to that. And then once you get into mm. that rhythm, playing it that way, I wonder how long I've spent training myself to be able to do that for the entire thing and that kind of thing. So it's obviously had some kind of hold on me because it has drawn me back, uh, unlike yourself. Um, I never thought the melodies of the soundtrack themselves were particularly catchy. But then mm. this entire week, they've been running through my head if I've been walking through town or something. Mm. They have been coming back. So I think they're, yeah, the soundtrack has grown on me over the years. Um, agreed, the co-op's not great. It does end up like throwing Simulator 1993 or something. Um, but I remember at the time friends saying, no, I'd rather just watch, which I think comes back to Simon's earlier point about smoke and mirrors and spectacle, <laughs> yeah. that it is a game that you can just enjoy watching because it, A, it's cartoon-like and there is just sort of so much stuff going on. Um, but if I was going to play it today, I think I'd play it in the context of, yeah, what was going on on the Mega Drive at that time. There were a 
as a time for games. I think 1993 was this... We weren't quite at the next gen, but you could see where games were going to go. They could see where they were going to be able to put depth and that kind of thing. And this was almost the opposite of that. Like, we'd had sort of Jungle Strike and Flashback, which were these sort of deep, almost simulation experiences. And this Mm. was the uh, sort of antithesis of that. Like I say, a kind of a palate cleanser. Um, So, yeah, play it in the context of your, like, Robocop versus Terminator, Ranger X, um, Shinobi 3, some of the other games that were in the genre at the time, the things that Gunstar Heroes was gunning for. Um, give it a go. And um, or even Rocket Knight Adventures, which is, um, I wonder if mm. Treasure would have ended up working on that, or maybe they would have ended up on uh, Tiny Toon Adventures, which came from Konami just before. Um, yeah. It, it could, that could be what they escaped from back in June 92. Um, but <laughs> any game that gets us a Holger Chukai <laughs> quote from out of can, can, I think, deserves its place in the Gaming Hall of Fame. So, um, yeah, um, play it, but do remember it's a 1993 game as things are, and hopefully you'll enjoy the roller coaster and spectacle of all. Brilliant stuff. Uh, thank you all three of you, Dan, Simon and Mikhail, for throwing yourselves into this podcast. As always, bringing your expertise and passion uh, makes me feel very warm inside uh, so it just remains for me leon to tell you all that next time in issue 222 termina is our destination as we recall the three groundhog days that constitute the legend of zelda majora's mask until then 